Box and the Bagel is a production of Kenjamin Media, a curated series of conversations about things that matter. For more information about our podcast, please go to KenjaminMedia.com. Well, I'm not going to share with you the films that were unforgettable uh, to me, but are not on my list of favorite films, mm-hmm. because I don't need to be ridiculed. <laughs> As an elitist? Was it, it was something about your mother and sleeping with Milton Berle. I think it was uh, Yeah, my mother, mother never did sleep with Milton Berle. But my mother did say one time randomly towards the end of her life, not apropos of nothing. Mm-hmm. What was I Something doing? about Frank Sinatra's penis? No. What was I doing in the backseat of a taxi with Billy Eckstein? <laughs> There's just like not a lot of people that you, you could could say that. Actually. Yeah, but you're but you went immediately to something dirty. So I'm going to say hello. Hello. This is Locks in the Bagel. It certainly Uh, is. I'm Kenny Benjamin. I'm Joshua Beckett. Welcome to Locks in the Bagel. Welcome. So I think we've said Locks in the Bagel enough times. So today's topic, if you want to call it that loosely, is uh, is how basically television and film have shaped our identities and impacted our lives and and made us the people we are in some way. And so I do actually want to get into that right Is away. Anxiety we... or in a, a culture or yours and mine? Or did both? you say anxiety or culture? What did you say? As a society and culture or how it has affected your and my identity? Well, I think how it's affected your and my identity is a reflection of society. We are society. It's reflective of a particular slice of society. Yeah, we are that yeah. society. This is the podcast about our society. Okay. Society in which we've been shaped yeah. and nurtured. Yeah, okay. And raised and, and held and pushed aside and cast aside and all the things that one is done, uh, things that are done to one in a society. Okay. I thought you like. I thought you wanted to start. I thought you liked to start the show with what made you insane this week. Yeah, I I normally do, and um, but I was so I had this very very strong feeling about film and television have so have been such a a defining aspect of my identity, you know, because basically I was raised in many ways by film and television. Yeah. In local parentis. By a crazy parent? What does that mean? Yes. Do you remember that I watched The Godfather one, two or three hundred times when I was in high school? How could I not remember that? I'm asking you. Well, you, yes, you're of an course older I, man. Of course I remember that. Anyone who knows you knows Failing you memory. Godfather one or two hundred times. Adult. Not so spry. You know, these things uh, escape you. Yeah, don't you remember that story? So one day, one day, um, Jerry and Ruth, who were living in Murrieta Hot Springs, about an hour and a half out of Los Angeles, uh, I've been living there for years with my great aunt and uncle, Grace and Billy, the the four of them moved out there. And uh, one day my father gets a call from my grandmother, Ruth, and she says, my father's name was Barry, and she says, Barry, you need to to come out here. And I fell two and a half days ago. I think I broke my hip. I've been sitting on the floor uh, peeing the towels for two days. Oh, that's terrible. She was afraid of calling the hospital and having going there because she thought finally somebody would see that Jerry had Alzheimer's, which she had been aware of for a long time, but didn't want to tell because she thought their lives would change and they would never live together anymore. They would be separated, which, by the way, is what happened. So her fears were were smart. But yeah, that was the story. And that was sort of it was the beginning of the end of my grandparents' existence. It was oh, very sad. Terrible. Yeah. Yeah. It was horrible. Um, and then my grandmother was in the hospital for a while. My grandfather had to be put into some kind of care. 
because he couldn't, she couldn't take care of him. It was too much. He would Why does she wait off. two days though? Why not just call? Like I've been on the floor for five minutes. Can you, she was afraid. Come? She, she thought maybe she could get better and get up. She, you know, she was hopeful that maybe it was, she didn't break her hip and that it was a temporary thing, but yeah, it turned out to be a broken hip and she was in the hospital for a while and he had to be taken care of. And it was a whole thing. And oh, then yeah, it was a nightmare. It was, it was horrific and ugly and very American in the way we deal with older people. Um, yeah, it was just sad. In the meantime, Ruth and Jerry and Grace and Billy is a great title. Yeah. It's like Bob it. and Carol, Ted and Alice kind of thing. It better. Except I think my grandparents and my great aunt and uncle had never slept with anybody else. I don't think there was like a sexual promiscuity in that generation. And I would, and I would also be just shocked to know that Ruth and Jerry tried anything other than like <laughs> Manischewitz. Yes. I would be shocked as well. I was thinking of movies that in my childhood impacted me, right? So Godfather obviously was the was the singular film of my childhood that that shaped my identity and, and you know, and one could argue that a 10-year-old probably shouldn't be watching the godfather over and over and over well i didn't watch it over and over again i was 10 because video because home video hadn't come out when i was 10 but i think it came out about when i was 14 or 15 and then i watched it over and over and over and over and over again because i was you know alone and not raised by anybody except you know as we talked about before your mother and julie's mother and um i basically was trying to understand what a family was like so what better family to shape your idea of what a family is like than the corleones because really is there a more a healthier family than the corleones yeah i would yeah probably yeah i would say probably there there's probably one or two healthier families i mean yes they had a lot of murder and they had a lot of violence and they had a lot of anger but you know ultimately for a young al pacino's character michael corleone Mm-hmm. It was all about family. Well, until he killed his brother. Right. But I mean, I had I had dreams about that as a child, too, because my brother was, you know, an asshole. And yeah. Yeah. So to answer your question, Julie's family, Julie's family was a better family to model yeah. what what a good family should look like. Julie had an intact family. And in that generation, we all thought intact family was the best family. Julie's family was the model. And they had a mom and a dad and the dad was an actor. So he was home a lot. And he was interested and the mom was in the kitchen and she bought the shaved ham from little Owens Market down the road. And Owens Market. There. Yeah. Remember Owens Market? Of course. Yeah. I think it's still there. On Pico. No, no, it's not still there, actually. Oh, really? But, yeah, on Pico. Well, it's Rock, there, right? but it's not called Owens anymore. It's not Owens anymore. Yeah. Yeah. But I mean, she was there and then Julie had the brothers and and they would bring their friends over. And, you know, it was like a place where people would sit around a table and talk to each other and laugh. And, and Suzanne had literally like, 1400 photo albums she would make photo albums with this she bought them from this one manufacturer somewhere in i don't remember iowa nebraska somewhere but she literally had thousands of them and she made photo albums of their entire lives i mean i was thinking about this today too when i was for this podcast you know i have one picture of my childhood yeah me. this is like the third or fourth time you've mentioned that on mention this that? podcast and i don't know why you keep saying i'm the one who's addled so i was thinking about that those thousands of photo albums those kids all of those kids the three brothers and, the, and julie the four children they had and all the photo albums they have as adults to, to show their children about their lives and the stories of their lives and the experience of their lives i don't have any of that do you have a lot of photo albums uh, yeah actually where are they they're on the shelf so da- your daughter has has access to them and you can share your childhood and your experiences with her yes if she uses yeah. the steps tool <laughs> you know when she was two years old she used to climb the bookshelf the bookshelf climb it, it was very yeah. dangerous who yeah who let her do that 
I think I taught her how to do that. Yeah. But I was always, uh-huh. I was always there to catch her if she fell. By the way, yeah. never fell. She never fell. She had she had good grip. She had like Spider Man. She hands. has yeah. She has monkey toes. Like I don't know yeah. what that's about. I don't want to get into that. But uh, that's some. So you watched The Godfather. 237 times. And to yeah. the other answer to your other question is not only could one argue that a 10 year old shouldn't be watching the Godfather. <laughs> I think one should argue that yeah. a 10 year old shouldn't be watching. the. Godfather. I think you're right. In fact, I would, I would suggest to you that I saw the Godfather when I was seven or eight in the theater with my dad. And that was way too young. I think your dad was a really lovely person. And I think he made some very bad parental decisions yeah he had no idea he had that, no idea. that 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 probably was one of them that was one of them yeah amongst the other oh you know the other film that i saw when i was not i think i was nine um do you remember the film the other trial side of, of midnight no the trial of billy jack of course remember the billy jack films about that sort of yeah and please do me a fit do not sing the billy jack theme song don't sing the one billy- I, i'm not yes i know you want to why do you hate that song so much i don't I have- love that song why do i hate the- because if because I've heard you sing it four hundred and fifty three <laughs> times, that's why it's a beautiful I don't song. like song. That song makes me feel like there's hope in the world. Really? Go ahead and no, 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 no. Go ahead and a friend. No. Do it in the name God. of heaven. You oh can just my God! Again. Yeah, and you did a trumpets blowing. Come <sighs> the judgment day on the bloody morning. A nine-year-old should be singing a song about the bloody morning after. By the way, exactly. Soldier rides away. It's a, it's a it's an exquisite song. But anyway, okay, so. so so what film do you recall from your childhood that really spoke to you that, that you felt connected to? Lies my father told me, which is about this rag peddler and his son and daughter-in-law and grand uh, grandchild. I think it was a grandson. And I lost my shit after that movie. He, I, sorry if you haven't seen it, but he he dies at the end. The, I lost my shit. I was, I remember sobbing. What was sad? All the way it? to the court. He dies. But what was the, the sad grandfather? Part of that? It was a grandfather. I don't know. I had lost my grand, both of my grandfathers by the oh, time I had seen that movie. I was looking for the connection, the context. I don't know. Do you really think that's a connection? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Who played the grandfather in the movie? Who was the actor? I, I don't remember. Somebody Walter was. Mata? No, no, it was a small film. Somebody wonderful. Anyway, from that age, at that age, that movie really was impactful to me. So here's the other thing, right? I was very close to my grandmother, to my dad's mom. Mm-hmm, Booby. I remember her quite yeah, well. We were very, very, very close. She was a big presence. She had a big personality. Oh, yeah, yeah. And that condo on Wilshire Boulevard. The in condo, that, yeah. Condo yeah. Road near Westwood. Yeah, yeah, the West Home. The West Home. That's yeah. Right. So it's possible, though, that just because it was about a grandparent and a grandchild, that I was also in some way projecting or being, inf- uh, you know, affected mm-hmm. by just the loss of a grandparent in the movie, and because those two in that movie were very close, he went with him on right. all of his sort of rounds around the, the, the rag cart or whatever it was, the rag peddler cart. Yeah, and I we used to go to to work with my grandmother. So it, it, my guess is it was actually a lot more to do with that. That's my whole, my whole thesis here is that how these, these films, these television, these media pieces just profoundly shape our sense of meaning and, and reflect our, our lives in ways that we connect to and we can see in a much bigger way than we see when we're just looking at our own lives. It's just very powerful. Like I think about the TV shows of our childhood. Okay. So name two characters from two TV shows of your childhood that, profoundly affected who you wanted to be or what you thought was important. 
I have them. They come to mind right away for me. I'll hold them and let you see. From, you from my childhood? Yeah, from your childhood. Not adulthood, childhood. Jim West from Wild Wild West. This is that it was cool as shit. I just, I cool th- as shit. Yeah. That's exactly the phrase that comes to mind when I think of Fonzie from Happy Day. There you go. Cool as shit. Like, cool. Yeah. Cool as shit. Yeah. Like that's who we all wanted to be, right? Mm-hmm. You want that Jim West character, the Robert Conrad, the yep. actor who played him, and Henry Winkler's Fonzie. I mean, Fonzie, I think, was was the coolest character of our childhood. Yeah. Wild Wild West was actually a little bit before us. We would see it in reruns. Right. It was a little mm-hmm. bit it was a 60s show, not a 70s show, if right. I recall yeah. correctly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But from a 70s and late 70s and early 80s, even the Fonzie character to me was the character that every boy, especially in our generation, wanted to be. Cause he was as cool. He was cool as shit. Yeah, yeah. He could turn a jukebox on with his hand. <laughs> and we thought in a, in a pre-technological age, we thought oh, yeah. that was pretty awesome. Uh, yeah. 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 Uh, and the other one, yeah, the other, the other one, yeah. he was like, a, first of all, he was like a superhero in his own world. Right. Fonzie was kind of like the superhero of the happy days world. Yeah. And the other one who was also the superhero for me. And I think probably for you, when I say it was uh, Steve $6 Austin, million. Dollar, I knew that's what you were going to say. Right, that's I the mean, other who one. Was cooler than Steve Austin. No, Steve Austin was also the cool, the coolest. He was an astronaut cool. who yeah. crashed and lost his leg and his arm and his ear and his and eye. Eye, eye, his eye, not his ear. No, that was the woman. He, he might Lindsay have lost the ear. I don't know, but you're forgetting yeah, the eye. eye. Right. How are you forgetting right. the so eye? They, so they put in bionic shit, and again, this is pre-technology. So this was amazing. He was literally like the super. There's the Superman of television in our generation. Again, in Israel. Known not as the six million dollar man, just the man worth millions. Yes. All right. We've already been through that line. Uh, but yeah, Steve Austin, man, that guy. I mean, I would remember the. You remember the the theme song, like the do 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 do. He slowed it all down. Of course. I remember running in the park at Roxbury Park. Of course. And you I make, remember running in the park and making that sound. Right to suggest that we were bionic. Are you do that? I think every again, every boy in our generation did that. I still do that. Do I, am I not supposed to still be doing that when I run or whatever? Yeah, that's a therapeutic intervention, perhaps <laughs> on some level. But thank God you're a therapist so yeah. that you can intervene with yourself. But yeah, Steve Austin, man, he was cool, and he would, and he always said, my favorite thing that happened on that show is. The the Oscar Goldman character who was his handler basically he'd in the take government. take the glasses off with like in one. He would take those glasses yeah. off and he would say, "Steve, we oh. need you, pal." Yeah, right. And, you know, it wasn't just here's the thing about Steve Austin. Why I think he also connected so powerfully for me and for you probably. Uh, you tell me if this is true. But not only was he a superhero, right? Like he could jump high and run fast. He could do all those cool superhero things. But he also helped people. Yeah, I have no memory of him ever helping anyone. I just remember he was. He seemed handsome, and he was, you know, could do cool shit. That was it. Okay, so you were shallower as a child, perhaps. But I don't yeah. think that's actually infinitely, true. I, infinitely, that might be your memory. He ha- wait, of- wait, he helped people. He he yeah, did he stuff. Helped. He didn't just like. Tear tear open chain link fang- fences with his hand. When Oscar Goldman said, "We, we need you, pal,", pal yeah. he was referring to some some tribe of villagers somewhere in the Yucatan who were being terrorized by oil companies or imperial colonialists. And Steve would go in and save them. That's my memory. Yeah. I could be wrong. I, yeah, I don't remember that. I remember he could throw things very far. He could throw shit. He could jump over shit. He could see shit from a huge distance. He could break shit. He could break shit. He did a lot of things with shit. <laughs> yeah. He was very powerful. Yeah. But, and very cool. Yeah. I'm trying to think, like, were there any characters from that from our childhood that inspired us in other ways beyond, like, the wanting to be superhero stuff? That intellectually, maybe, or philosophically, or 
I'm trying to think. I don't remember anything standing out. That may speak to sort of the aspirations of us as children. What Again, what we thought was cool and what we wanted to be. Yeah, it's I, funny because, you know, as I'm thinking about it, I don't remember seeing a lot of, I don't remember watching a lot of contemporary television. Oh, Rod Serling. Rod Serling was, I thought, really, really cool and but that's because he present he had a like a cool vibe. Yeah. He presented really interesting, quirky stuff. That was not necessarily about who he was, perhaps, but more about sort of the vibe and the what was being presented on that show. Mm-hmm. But I don't think I um, had any I don't think I was influenced. it was I I just I'm trying to remember if I was influenced or informed uh mo- morally or 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 my character yeah. was informed by that. No, I'm, I'm, I will I say again of- in a very sad and tragic way that the the Michael Corleone character uh, impacted me in other ways too, because I also, you know, I felt very powerless as a child because of the situation I was raised in. And so that sense of feeling like you could, you could have power, you could feel powerful and not in a negative way to hurt people, but so to feel good, you know, to, uh, for a sense of identity. I mean, it was, it was hollow in so many ways, obviously, but, but as a, you know, a nine and a 12 year old's perspective, it felt meaningful. That was also what that Michael Corleone character uh, suggested to me. Yeah. Very unhealthy, very negative. Yeah. Look, you uh wouldn't sit with your back to a door for for like two <laughs> decades, which made no sense and was so artificial and you just Because a lot of people weren't out to kill me. Yeah, right. Except that bully in, in elementary school whose name I won't give uh speak aloud because he was such a horrific child. Um, but he was out really? to kill you, me. you were bullied in, in elementary in eighth school? Grade. In eighth grade I was bullied by this this vicious predator eighth, eighth grader who was giant for really the rest oh, of the I don't, don't yeah. think I knew that you were bullied by, by uh in in eighth grade oh I'm sorry that's awful yeah it was terrible it was a very very difficult couple of years the last few years of elementary school the last year in particular because of that but the other things that went on as well in my family yeah that kid was horrible I mean in fact I still haven't gone to a reunion of my elementary school even though I've been invited to many because of that kid, because I just have no interest in any in seeing that kid again. It was so traumatic for me. And he was and he I, was our year. Yeah. And did he I never I don't remember ever seeing him in high school. It was it was oh. an elementary school, but it was so profoundly impactful on my psyche and on my feeling in the world. Yeah, bullying is a horrible thing. I mean, it, thank God we didn't have social media and all the rest of it then. I, I don't think I would have survived that as a child. Yeah. Horrible. With the tools and the and the people I had in my, you know, world. I don't think I would have survived that. But yeah. So you're lucky you have a seven-year-old. You have a lot to look forward to. Yeah. And after watching The Social Dilemma, it's... You know, my daughter, who's 26, yeah. says she says that she just missed sort of... She was the generation, the last generation that didn't fully grow up with the social media world. It happened when she was in high school. It all sprung, not when she was younger. When she says the kids today are the kids that the generation just be after her who got all that social media in middle school completely different breed of of human mm-hmm. powerfully different and you know in many ways tragic yeah well to your point i mean did you did you watch the social media the social dilemma i have not watched it yet. oh it's so good but one of the points that that they that once someone makes in that film so as human beings we are we are wired to be resilient we are naturally resilient we are we are wired so to speak to be able to handle and, and tolerate criticism and uh some judgment some disappointments etc cetera, mm-hmm. etc cetera. Okay. but we are not wired to handle 
being criticized 200 times in one day. And that's that's what happens with social media. Let me ask you the big question of the day. We had the four question segment, but you know, it felt like that's a lot of questions to get through and with the way you and I jump around randomly. Yeah. It just felt like that could go on forever. So we're narrowing a segment now. It's just the big question. The big question. The big question. Are you ready for the big question? I am. I think I okay. Yeah. It relates to the topic this week. It's not always going to relate to the topic, but just so it happens to. You used to be a professional actor. Mm-hmm. Correct? Yeah. You had a hit television show for, well, hit television show. You had a television show for six weeks. On I had, well, I had a critically, I had a, I had a critically, uh, you had a I had a critically acclaimed television show critically that, was acclaimed. A, that was not a hit. <laughs> potential was, hit show that turned out to not go anywhere. Attempted, yeah, it turned out to be dead. Too, too Jewish is what a lot of the critics said. But anyway. Yeah. Um, like, it was, like, so, like it was written in Hebrew. Like we were discussing yeah. Torah in every episode. So it's been a while since you've acted professionally or acted at all, really, mm-hmm. in this life you're living. So I'm wondering, although you've said how much you love acting and mm-hmm. it's just a great joy that in your life was to act. So I'm wondering, in this in this idea of film and television, what role in the history of film or television, choose either one, that you wish you could have played if you could have chosen any role and why that role? So my first thought was, if you think I'm a slow thinker, why would you not give me these questions in advance? So I, I don't... This is a spontaneous reaction. Even slow thinkers have spontaneity somewhere hidden inside them. Well, I can, be, I I can be spontaneous, but... Okay, so tell me, just first thought, like, what great role would you like to have tackled? What touches your soul? What reaches into the very fiber of your being and says... I'm here. Take me. That that made <laughs> me feel very uncomfortable. <laughs> yeah, yeah I'm, I'm uncomfortable, by the way, and I'm the one who said it. I, I don't. I, I. You know what? I'm going to ask you my big question, and then while you're talking, I'm going to th- I'm going to think about how I want to answer that question. What What movie that you are supposed to like? Do you not love or not? You like? know, it's so interesting how we choose these questions to come up with because because you are so. This is so reflective of who we are as people. Because you are someone who has traditionally not always liked the movies that we're told to like, that people, that uh, lots of people like. You are in, in that classic sort of indie film person versus popular cultural film person. You've never really liked the popular cultural films, right? Is that true? I would say broadly speaking, <laughs> that is, you are speaking true. Some people even referred to you as a film snob. When we were younger, some people refer to me as a just you could just a snob. Snob. In, in a lot of, <laughs> a lot of I fun. know. That's true. You know who's one of those people? My wife. Yeah. You know what's interesting about that is that, and that's why I think the question is so interesting because, like, I am a person who who loves like independent films. Like, I loved Itu Mama Tambien, a film of the last few years that I think was really, really powerful. Um, not a well-known film culturally, you know. Again, smaller film, uh, foreign language film. I also like sentiment and i like sappy shit that you can't stand that you just find just horrific to watch and i love like i will cry at a commercial i will tear up at an episode of any traditional television show gray's anatomy or you know any sort of mainstream kind of thing i will watch a scene from the parent trap with Lindsay lohan which i've watched the same scene a hundred times every time i watch it every time i cry that will still bring a tear to my eye, that sentimentality that you can't stand, that you find horrific. So I find it so interesting. Nothing comes to mind that I have. Well, Mr. (laughs) Spontaneous Quick I have one. All right. I have one for it. I mean, I don't know if it's a film I'm supposed to like, though. When I was younger, I want to say a teenager, or maybe, I can't remember when it came out. There was a film called Dune 
and it was a big, expensive, flashy sci-fi film. Mm-hmm. And it was a very popular. I think it came from a book or some kind of sci-fi series. I can't remember. But it was very popular. And I couldn't, I walked out on the film. I just, I couldn't get through it. It was so bad. The dialogue was bad. The Everything was just bad. But that's a movie was, that you think most people is sort of a cult classic. I think so. Mm-hmm. I think that would be the closest that comes to mind off the top of my head. Mm. I mean, there were other films I didn't like. All so. right, and, I, and I will answer your question as best I can. And, and I think the thing that I'm struggling with is the, the, the roles that I have most admired, I, I admire because of the performance. Okay. Mm-hmm. So, and, and because the performance is so indelible, I don't imagine myself playing that role. I just, and I don't even want to, I'm like, why would I want to play that role? You know, Daniel Day Lewis or whomever, Jack Nicholson or whomever mm-hmm. played it so brilliantly. But I'll tell you what did pro- come to my mind. What? Was uh, that role in Big? I think I, I mm-hmm. think I think that that's not that I would have ever wanted, you know. To, mm-hmm. But I I think I could have crushed that. Yeah, that's a role that I love. That's a movie that I love. That you're supposed to love. Yeah, that I loved. Yeah, you're. Yeah, I think all the movies that you're supposed to love that are mainstream, you do love. I'm. T- I'm. I don't mean it just mainstream. Yeah, it's hard to to think of a film like that you're supposed to love. There's one that I can't access right now that I feel more uh, answers your question, but I, it's sort of in the back of my head somewhere, and I can't find it. I, I, we mentioned last week, like I I know someone who does not like Casablanca, which is inconceivable to me. And crazy. That's a crazy person. In, that's a in, mentally ill. Well, right, inconceivable, and mentally yet, Ill. right. But that would be an example. And, and Casablanca. That's like saying, I don't like Wallace Shawn in The Princess Bride. Right. So Casablanca is on almost everybody's list of like top 10 greatest films ever. You're supposed to like Casablanca. Correct. So that's what I'm talking about. Any films like that, that you you think that, right, it would be on a list like that that you don't like. Yeah. Nothing comes to mind. Like, I love Horns of Arabia. It's like a three hour and 40 minute film. (laughs) Loved it. Peter O'Toole, great actor of his generation. Um, yeah. There's probably a Michael Caine film that I'm supposed to like that I don't like because he made like 600,000 films. So there's probably one of his, I know, although he's almost always good, but he was just in so many he's films. He's also for that. almost always the same. Yeah, he's but he's the good same. at being I that guy. I saw a really funny, obscure, really like good at that guy. British sketch thing uh, in which, <laughs> in which, uh, uh, like, the, 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 there was a voiceover and someone said, like, you know, this feature film. You know, start the chameleon like Michael Caine. <laughs> it's like that's like a Key and Peele bit. If you yeah, know. you know, and they, yeah. and but then, Michael Caine. But the thing about why he did those films over and over again because he was really good at them, and he was really enjoyable. It's not like Chevy Chase, who was always the same, and yet did some really bad films as himself. Like he made some horrible films in the same character. Mm-hmm. Whereas Michael Caine was one of those actors. I think that was almost always interesting to watch yeah no, no, yeah very little breadth you know a little <laughs> a little depth not not a lot but 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 very watchable yeah i think that's okay. like very watchable yeah very watchable yeah. like i feel that way about tom hanks too he's eminently watchable he, he, like he's, yeah but i always- but but i think tom hanks i've i've come to view tom hanks as a really fine actor i think he's well i think he is i mean you can go from big to philadelphia to to that movie where he's on the desert island by himself which is a very tough thing to do a two-hour film and sort of be the only one in the frame for almost the whole film yeah and i will also say that uh, captain phillips um his, oh yeah his uh his mm-hmm. depiction his portrayal of 
uh, post-traumatic stress at the end of that mm-hmm. movie, I think as good as you will ever see. So let's let's follow that childhood thing with adulthood. So what film or TV show has been impactful in your adulthood? Does anything come to mind? I mean, the first one that came to my mind was, um, speaking of, of David Lean, was Dr. Zhivago. And by the way, I, I, I don't love Lawrence of Arabia. So it's kind of okay. also on my list. But, but, but Dr. Zhivago was not a movie from our adulthood. That was a movie from our childhood. It's a movie I saw as an adult. Oh, that's interesting. Yeah, I didn't older see film. Yeah, yeah, I didn't that see That sort of speaks to your mise-en-scene. Yes, <laughs> it does. Go on. Um, so, yeah, it sort of speaks to my Arico Vert, if you will. Uh-huh. Uh, Ari Covert, I know that guy his, and his brother, Jimmy Covert. They're very, they're yeah. really good dudes. Yeah. They live in Philadelphia, I think now. Anyway, I digress. So, um, Covert brothers. yeah, so there's a moment in that, there's a moment mm-hmm. in that where I think the films, I mean, what I'm, what I'm realizing is, is, as we're watching this is there all the, the, the films and the moments in films that I are so resonant for me are all about relationship. You know, yeah. as much as I have, as I, as I'm affected by and admire um, and can gush over, you know, just sort of the visuals of cinema and sometimes television, mm-hmm. but mostly cinema um, it's the relationships that I've seen. So there's this moment in Dr. Zhivago where towards the end uh, she goes off. She's being taken away by Rod Steiger on the sled, and Zhivago runs upstairs to try to watch her go. And the, everything's the windows are frozen shut. It's in the in the ice house, and he can and he just claws. He claws at the windows to scrape the ice off so he can watch her go. Steiger, by the way, incredible in that movie, and to mm-hmm. watch to watch her go. And and you know, I had horrible separation anxiety. Uh, as a kid, there was this moment for me that was like this direct thread. It was sort of uh, profound and um, transcendent in that moment where I watched that and suddenly there was this like a rocket pulling a thread from today from my chest all the way straight back to my childhood. To me at 10, watching my parents leave the house and the moment that I told myself you have to stop. You have to stop being so upset when they leave. Yeah, that was that was that was amazing. So I, that was the first thing that came to my mind. Yeah, you know it's interesting because for me it's relationship too, and it's field of dreams for me. It's that relationship, that relationship desire with your parent to want to have a relationship that you didn't have, that you wished you had had. That you know, in that moment at the end when he sees his father as a young man, and the line he says is something like, "That's my father." And he says, "He's so young. I I only knew him after he'd been. I think he says after he'd been hardened by life." And there's this kind of beautiful feeling about like, what if I had known my father when he was young and full of hope and possibility, and the kind of man that I would have related to and and felt like, as opposed to this old, hardened, broken man. Mm-hmm. Not, oh God, that's such a powerful moment, I think. Yeah. Speaking to that, I am always moved, usually to tears, any movie that involves like a father-son relationship that's that's well depicted and drawn out. I mean, that moment in uh, Little Miss Sunshine, just that moment when when Greg Kinnear gets the bad news and Alan Arkin, he just takes his hand and just pats his son on the shoulder. 
And it says, right. it says everything. I broke down when I saw that. I never got that. Or going back, I'm trying to tie in a bunch of the things that we've been talking about. Casablanca, there's the moment where um, he's sitting in the bar where, where he's sitting in the bar and um, it's the famous scene where he says, you played it for her, you can play it for me, play it. And so yeah. he's just there pining for her, pining for her, pining for her. His heart is breaking. He wants her so badly wants her he wants her to walk through the doors and then she does and all he can do is be cruel yeah and it's such a a human moment yeah it's 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 the relationships that i remember the most i think from from films not not to say that i don't remember some incredible images of course i do i mean it's 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 storytelling with pictures but it's the relationships always the relationships because that's what we are as humans that's what makes us feel the most human yeah now I'm going to go, and maybe, and maybe my questions are not fair. Given our different experiences, I really want you to challenge yourself here for a second, okay? okay. Um, uh, I asked you last week or the week before, I said, tell me five films that were unforgettable and only one of them can be a film that was your favorite or that you, that you love, or, or, or it could be one of what you would consider one of your favorite films. And then you went on and named almost all of them were like your favorite films. Godfather one, Godfather two, field of dreams. Right. So I'm, I'm asking you like, what was a film that was unforgettable? That is not a film that falls into that category. The first time I saw a movie with a girl I found attractive, I think it was fifth grade, and I went to a, a scary Hitchcock film so I could put my arm around her. Mm -hmm. I remember that was the goal of the whole movie was to put my arm around this girl during a scary moment, which I did, by the way. And it was the Hitchcock film, and I can't remember the name of it, but that film was very impactful. Okay, so that was, that was that's an unforgettable film because of the association that, that you have. Well, okay. And also the other one, I would say, I would say honestly, the most unforgettable film of my childhood, The Godfather was forget unforgettable in a lot of ways, but the most unforgettable film that really did have so much impact was Jaws. I mean, we talked about this before, but it was Jaws. Well, right. Jaws, Jaws kept me out of the ocean for most of my life, literally. So Jaws, so the Jaws, not one of your favorite films, but no, it's not one of my favorite. But films. unforgettable. I think that's a okay. Fair. I think it's a great. It was. Great. It was. It was the most impactful film of any film I've ever seen. Yeah. I loved going to the beach before I saw Jaws. Yeah, me too. I Afterwards, to not so much. Yeah. I'm not going to share with you the films that were unforgettable uh, to me, but are not on my list of favorite films because I don't need to be ridiculed <laughs> as an elitist, as anything, as a snob. As anything. As a film au courant, auteur. <laughs> <laughs> Just throw French words in there. Nobody knows what they mean. That should be maybe a segue into what makes you insane. So what made you crazy this week? What made me crazy this week? So I, I mean, I don't hate to say this, but I, I hate to say it, but but I'm going to say it because it's... it's Wait, like, do you hate to say it or do you well, not I, hate to I, say I, it? No, I don't confused. actually hate to I say it. I felt like it. you were going toward yeah, I hate to say it, yeah. then you felt badly I, about no, hating I don't, it. I don't hate to say it, but it's so, it is so, it is so is topical. It, it is so topical right now. And I don't really like being on anybody's bandwagon, but I'm, I'm going to get on this one. I know how much you hate the bandwagon. Do you stop at stop signs? Do you stop at red lights? Do you not yell fire in a crowded theater? You, there are all kinds of things you do for other people's safety as members of a society that has nothing to do with your, you know, to anybody taking away your personal liberties. The mask, by the way, impedes no freedom except the, the, the not covering of your nose and your lips that might send disease into. I just, oh my God, I was watching a show, uh, a news show today. 
Nicole Wallace, do you know who that is? She has a show on MSNBC. She's a former Bush administration operative Republican who's become less Republican in some ways. Uh, uh, yeah, she has I do, this- I, I'm sure I know who she is, yeah. Yeah. Anyway, she has this show on at the end of every one of her shows. She has a two hour block in the afternoon. She she highlights one person who has died of the coronavirus. Mm. One person, one life, because it's about making it human. Right. These people who say, oh, fuck the mass. They don't realize that people die and that death affects everyone in that person's orbit. Yeah. And it's it's real. It's not some imagined thing that these fucking assholes say, oh, it's not real. It's real. Yeah. So the the other thing is that this the argument like well you know you you can't make me I don't have to it's like yeah. you are correct there are other things I can't stop you from doing I can't stop you from you know passing gas in the in the middle of a dinner party but you don't if you can help it right. because you know it's not nice there's all kinds of stuff you do that you don't have to do and there are other things that I can't stop you from doing but if you get caught in a not doing them, you can get a ticket or a fine or that are really like wearing a seatbelt, right? Right. Like, I can't make you wear your seatbelt, but it's a law. We all agree in the society that we're going to wear our seatbelts and follow the law, or we can get arrested or not talking on your cell phone while you're driving, which is also a law in a lot of places. That impacts your freedom, I would argue, more than wearing a fucking mask. Yeah. But we do it because we know it might endanger the lives of others or driving your car while intoxicated. Right. That impacts your freedom. You can't get in your car and go where you want to go. That directly impacts your freedom. But you agree to do it because it you don't want to other run to jail. Right. And to kill some child crossing the street. Right. So Nicole Wallace was highlighting a life today. And for this is the first time I've noticed. And I don't know if I stayed at the end of that show, but she highlighted a five-year-old girl today. Mm. A five-year-old girl who was having some symptoms went to the hospital and 15 hours later was dead. You see the pictures of this vibrant five-year-old girl who died of this virus, who, by the way, this girl apparently was wearing masks and she would make her mother wear a mask. And she was one of these precocious kids who like, you know, saw the world and, and, and tried to do the right thing. And she got the virus. Who knows why? Maybe she got it because some asshole didn't wear a mask or maybe she didn't. But the point is, these are real people's lives. Yeah. All this argument about freedom and 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 whatever, it's just it's complete fabricated bullshit. Yeah. And this is directly the result of the president, by the way. He is solely, singularly responsible for putting out this idea of making this political and then taken up by the governors and the senators and all those other people. Turning mask wearing and public health and patriotism, Joe Biden today called it a patriotic act to wear a mask. Yeah. But turning this into politics is just the demonization of science and fact. And all of these things that are happening in our culture now is what makes me crazy. And Oh, so wait, is that what makes you insane this week as well then? Yeah. Well, yeah, it was all of that. All right. And the fact that I felt like I almost died over the weekend from what could have been a mild case of COVID or perhaps cancer or perhaps just a virus. A touch. But I, like you had possibly had a touch of cancer, a touch of COVID. Yeah, I had a touch of something. Or as they say in the West Wing, as uh, CJ says about Toby and the poet laureate of America, played by Laura Dern at the time, did you have a touch of the poet? I like a touch of. That's a good line. Um, but yeah, it was a touch of. It was a touch of kind of moment. I had something. I didn't. I, in the last three nights, I've slept a comp- total of about four and a half hours. Mm-hmm. And when you don't sleep for three nights in a row, you, you, your your mind plays tricks on your body is, and you're in pain. It's very disorienting. Yeah. And it, it feels... I mean, I don't know what's real and what feels real, but it was horrible. It was terrifying. Mm. So I went through a very bad weekend. Um, So, yeah, that also made me crazy this week because I really thought I was going to die at one point because there was a period of about 20 hours where I was in pain and I couldn't do anything to make it stop. And I couldn't sit in a way or lie down or anything that made it stop. 
So I kept moving it. I, I could never get comfortable. So I've never had that, that experience. I, I, I'm going to, I'm, I'm going to loop into this thing that you're saying loop. because I sent you chocolate chip cookies. I sent you, I sent you a dozen cookies. Fuck. I didn't get them. I know you didn't get them because they canceled yeah. my fucking order. I sent you a dozen why? cookies. By the way, fucking almost sixty dollars for twelve cookies was insane. Wait, so why did why did why did they not? Send I don't the know. Order? And by the way, and th uh, that's my how I'm looping in. That made me insane. Well, I just got an email. I just got an email that said, "Sorry, your order's been canceled. Sorry for the inconvenience." That was it. And then I called the store, and the store was like, "Hi, we're you know." What was the store in Portland? Oh, I can't say that. What's the store in uh, what you can cut that okay, part yeah. out? What's this? What's the the name of the store about bake? We bake. We are we're baked. Something like that. Uh -huh. uh, it's not a marijuana store. No, it's whatever. It's a, it's a cookie store, and uh -huh. and uh, it's just like a recorded message. Like you can't leave any mess. You can't I can't talk to a human being to say hi. What happened to my order? Why did it get canceled? It says you're open right now. So anyway, that was annoying. I'm sorry you didn't get the cookies. I was trying to do something for you that would make. I'm me sorry, feel and I appreciate that. But I'm sorry you didn't then like try and do something else to make me like find something else to send me. You just kind of gave up. That was sad. I I was I was disheartened. I'm sorry. I should have tried something else. I'll try something you else. You could go. You could drive your car over to Beverlywood Bakery. Buy me. Four have you ever gotten? I have you ever gotten? Have Xbox. you ever gotten cookies delivered before? Yes, many reliably. Times. Many times Send me the, Insom in the East Coast, insomnia cookies. They're they're in all the college towns. The, in the East they're Coast, fantastic. yeah, in the East Coast. Oh, when I was living in Providence, I had it delivered a number of times. I know Mariana, my insomnia daughter, insomnia cookies. In that's what it's called. Insom insomnia cookies. Are, yeah, they started. Is there an insomnia cookies college. near where you are? I, I don't know. I don't think oh, so. But oh, I mean, well, there are other. Great. Can you name? Can you tell me a place that's near where you are that I can? That's I have to do some research on that. I have to research where you can send me something from. I'll put that on me. Thank you. I appreciate I, I, that. But I really think it was. The, I really think you could, you're the one who's you're spontaneous you're thinking. The, uh, you could drive to Beverlywood Bakery, buy a six pack of chocolate chip Danishes, put it in a FedEx box for next day delivery, and spend less money than that, and send me the thing I love most in the world that I miss more than anything else. That you could do that. I'm just saying that's something. That's what I thought you were doing when you said you were sending me something. I literally that's what I was anticipating and hoping for for the next 24 hours. Oh, really? I thought that's what you were doing. Oh, going I don't to know Beverly, I, can get to Beverly Beverly I don't know if I can get to Beverlywood Bakery now. It's very close. Well, no, to I know it is, but it's uh, then between my work schedule and everything, it's, it could be tricky. All right. Well, I think they opened at seven. They, before the wait, pandemic, what? I think <sighs> you're breaking up. <laughs> <laughs> mom, mom, what? Luke, he is your father. Anyway, <laughs> remember leaving that movie and other people were telling people in the line for the first time seeing that movie, they were telling them that Luke was his, that Darth Vader was Luke's father and just destroying it. Oh, so sad. That was awful. I, my specific memory awful. of that, speaking, we're back on movies, ditching school to go see Empire Strikes Back, line went around the block, first showing, not the midnight showing, but the first showing of the day. Mm -hmm. And we wa yeah, I've walked it. Yeah, went, went with Andy and... I maybe Steven and some other people. I, it's hard to imagine that Steven would ditch school, but I think he did at that point because we were seniors. And um, I only know one time Steven lied to his parents, and that was the time we drove to San Francisco. I, know, I, know. When I turned 16 and he lied to his parents. But other than that, I don't know any other time. Yeah. But see, again, these are stories we make up. He probably lied many times. He lied all the time. Yeah. He was such a fucking liar, such that a guy. Fucking God liar. Damn it. Lying asshole. Um, 
So let, let's get it. Let's get let's let let's let's get him on. Let's get him on the show and, and verify yeah. that. But um, but yeah, as as we were walking out and going to the car or whatever, some some yahoos drive by the yeah, line please. of people that strings around the corner, and they yell out the they're hanging out of their car and they yell out the window, Leia's Luke's sister. And, yeah. You know, Yahoo. Yeah. By the way, is Yahoo still in business? Yeah. So interesting. Next week, we're going to talk about technology. Technology. Generational uh, change. Okay. On a clear day, I can see forever. Do you remember that in musical theater? Somebody sang that song, and they got to that point, and around you, and, and Mr. Pressman said, did you say around you instead of around you? Do you remember that? I, 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 it sounds like something he would say. He was a bit of a stickler or asshole in some ways. I think he was also a very good teacher in some ways, but yeah. I didn't really have a lot of connect, uh, contact with him. He was I more suspect he was a, I suspect he was a much better teacher than I gave him credit for. I think that's probably true. And wasn't his father a very famous rabbi? Yeah, absolutely. Very, Pressman, just, yeah. In yeah, Rabbi Temple, Pressman. Uh, Bethlehem or something? Yeah, and I think, I think Mr. Pressman died yeah. of cancer. Oh, did he really? Yeah. That's so sad. Yeah. He, he did the whole singing part of that. You and I were not on the singing side we, of theater in high school. Absolutely. Neither of us really no. were singers. No. I didn't enjoy singing. I didn't think I had a particularly good voice, except when I sang, listen, children. No, no, no. I, you're so predictable. <laughs> um, just on a separate note, it just came to me, and it's not related to anything except, you know, nothing. Do you have an album from your childhood that, like, encapsulated sort of all your musical love, like one album that you listened to over and over again in the days of vinyl. Nat King Cole at the, Nat, Nat, Nat King Cole at the Sands. It's so classically you. Like you were True. so a, a boy, not of our generation. You were a yeah. boy of the generation that happened 30 years before us. It's so true of your childhood. It's so interesting. Yeah, that doesn't surprise me. And Nat King Cole, I mean, obviously beautiful voice, but yeah. very few people well, in no, our, no one our I age knew ever listened to him. was listening to Nat King Especially Cole when we were at kids. eight. But you also yeah, had a mother right. who was That's a famous why. singer in the 50s. Yeah, you think? That may have had something to do with your <laughs> musical taste. I don't know. Did it? Yeah. I mean, your, your mother, your mother, this is, a, this is one of the great uh, bits of trivia about your mother. That's just one of the like American history bits of trivia. She knocked Elvis Presley she did. off the number she one did. spot. On Heartbreak Hotel. 1956. 1956. Right? Heartbreak Hotel, I think Slot. it was. With the wayward wind. I mean, how many people in the history of America can say they knocked Elvis Presley out of the number one spot? That's like a huge. I do. I think it's amazing. Bit it's, of it's a little bit. Don't you think? A little bit like, like saying, like, yeah, I, I love I'm, that. I knocked out Muhammad Ali. Well, thank you for thank you. for joining me here as today all, in this always. endeavor. What a, what a nice way to spend the time. It is a nice You'd way like to spend the to time. You know what I'm thinking cookies. now? Well, I'd like you to do the Beverly uh, Wood Bakery thing, but I'm thinking. I was actually thinking more specifically and and locally about the. Cocoa, the, the oh, box good. of Cocoa Pebbles I see on my shelf over there. Okay. Okay. I was thinking Cocoa Pebbles for dinner. Um, what are you pumpkin, making for dinner? Pumpkin tortellini. Beautiful family. With sage. You make food every night. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. That's, that's the classic story of our adulthood. Yeah. Is going with your wife to hand make <laughs> pasta. I'm going to go have some Cocoa Pebbles like I'm a 12 year old. That's that's beautiful. We miss cooking. We that, miss that cooking with you. We often we often say that. I miss that so much. I'm Joshua Beckett. I'm Kenny Benjamin. Goodbye for Locks and the Bagel. We'll see you next week. Locks and the Bagel is a production of Kenjamin Media, a curated series of conversations about things that matter. For more information about our podcast, please go to KenjaminMedia.com.